God's holiness is a key to our life in Christ if we are Christians. It's very interesting talking to the Christians today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. Welcome to the program as we go through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We do it every year, the 66 books. We're doing it again this year. We are in 2 Corinthians 7 today, and we'll study that in about three minutes' time. Right now, Corey and Ryan are here. Corey? Today, I'm going to be taking a look at a Roman emperor who had to deal with problems related to Christianity. Ryan? Today, I have a question for us, and it's this. Is it okay for Christians to marry non-Christians? Paul apparently says yes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but no in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So, which is it? Yeah, which is it? What's the deal with that? Okay, Janice? Today, an agent of comfort. All right, take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage as we open up the Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Second Corinthians 7, 1 through 10. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Second Corinthians chapter 7, 8, and 9. This is what we study today. You know, conflict is a necessary part of life. I mean, how we handle conflict determines whether it will be helpful to us or not. Do we tend to walk away from conflict in disgust? Well, as Christians, we need to try to talk it through, to try to work it out because we see and value the other person as a creation of God, loved by Christ. 
Now, this does not mean that we have to agree, but that we should at least learn to try and understand and listen to the other point of view. This helps us to get along, even in our differences. Now, the media culture today seems to encourage us to express ourselves at the expense of everyone else. They should hear our opinion. It seems to say, who cares if we get along? Who cares if I understand about the other side? Let me just spout out my opinions. As we submit our lives to God, he helps us with our actions and our reactions. He helps us to resolve conflict in a godly way, restoring relationships rather than needlessly severing them. We need to become Christ-like and mature in our faith, forcing our pride to take a back seat to the truth of God. And that is something that I try to tell myself on a regular basis, the truth of God. <laughs> That's an ongoing fight, isn't it? As we go through life and learn things and understand things, we will find that there will be people who do not agree with us. Now, we can just say, well, get out of my life. I'll just go to someone else. Or we can learn from their point of view why. And that's very important. Today, we begin the study in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It is interesting. And as we do so, let me say that as we focus on this, we need to listen to the Lord and ask him to speak to our hearts because this, this is a very hard passage of scripture to really understand. So if you have your Bible guide, turn to it. If you don't, why not? Go to Bible Discovery TV and click on the Bible guide and it will take you to a page where you can donate. Then it'll take you to a page where you can download it exactly how we printed it. But today we're talking about ending conflict. Ending conflict. How do we do that? Well, conflict is oftentimes started by us, isn't it? We are the reason that people are conflicted. Like the gentleman who they came across him after he had been 10 years on the island alone and there were, there were two buildings. And uh, they asked him, well, what's the one building? He said, that's the church. And they said, okay, well, what's the other building? Well, that's a church I left when I couldn't get along with anybody there. Well, he was the only one who could, who could fight with himself. And that's often like we do, isn't it? And so, Father, I pray today that you would help us to see what you're saying. In other words, your Holy Spirit has spoken through the scripture to us. We need to hear what it says to us. We're not trying to get our own ideas here. So help us, Lord, in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen and amen. Make it so, may it be so. Make it so, may it be so. That's what amen and amen implies. With that in mind, we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Here is what the Bible says. It says, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The promise, the cleanse ourselves from the filthiness and the holiness. You see, God's holiness is key in our Christian life. We must seek the face and the words of Jesus Christ to grow and mature in his holiness. Now, let me explain. God is holy. We are not. And if we understand that, then we need to seek the Lord Jesus Christ to become more like him. And when we do that, we understand that becoming a Christian, following Christ is following holiness. 
and we seek holiness. We seek rightness. We don't seek to justify ourselves in any way. We're not trying to justify ourselves. Jesus Christ has already done that. If we are Christians, we've been justified by the grace of Christ. So we need to understand that when we seek God, we are going his way because his ways are holy. That's a very important point to remember. Now, with that in mind, let's go straight to the next scripture, which is verse two through eight. Here's what it says. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who confronts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire and your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry through or though only for a while. What's Paul saying here? Paul explains that we need to work through our differences. Jesus Christ is the only way that we can truly be united. We need to work through our differences. When we come to the Bible and the Bible conflicts us, we need to work through that with the Lord because God is showing us, shaping us, teaching us. That's what we need to do. So we need to hear this. Father, help us today. Then we go to verses 9 to 10. It says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to re repentance. Your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. And this brings me to the next point. Joy comes at the end of conflict if it is in Jesus Christ. Joy comes at the end of conflict if it is in Jesus Christ. You see, we should seek to know the Lord, the Lord Jesus, and his character. When we confront our conflict, a lot of people think that, well, I don't like confrontation. It brings conflict. No, there's conflict. And when we confront our conflict, we work together at it. We work together, working out our salvations and all of that. God pulls us together as a strong unit, beloved. We need to understand that as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not need to focus on the things that separate us but we need to focus on Jesus Christ, the one who pulls us together, one for all and all for one. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to do that today. And we said together, amen.
Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. Now, because we are still reading out of the book of 2 Corinthians, which of course was originally a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Christians living in the Roman city of Corinth, due to this, due to this situation that we find ourselves in, I want to take a look at um, Emperor Claudius. And here's how I get there. We know that Paul, when he visited Corinth and he met these people whom he's writing 2 Corinthians to, he also met two Jews named Aquila and Priscilla. And they had actually been expelled from Rome and forced to find refuge in the city of Corinth uh, because Claudius, the emperor of Rome at the time, had expelled Jews because of infighting over Christ over over this Christian issue. Uh, so there's some really interesting history there, but there's a lot that we can learn about Emperor Claudius and some of the the um, the, the laws that he made and the things that he instituted. You know, people living underneath his rule, people living in the time period uh, of the the New Testament had to deal with all of these things, and they would have known him. So let's see what we can learn. Upon the assassination of Caligula by members of the Praetorian Guard, Caligula's uncle Claudius bought their backing and was eventually declared princep or emperor of Rome. According to Roman historians, Claudius was an unlikely candidate. Physically unimpressive and awkward with little speaking ability had caused his family to write him off as a potential leader. But with the backing of the Praetorian Guard and with a vacuum of leadership in Rome after Caligula's death, came power. Claudius ruled the Roman Empire from AD 41 to 54 and was decidedly more temperate than his nephew. He pardoned those that Caligula had imprisoned and returned stolen land. But he was also very quick to execute anyone who threatened his power directly or indirectly. Claudius is mentioned in the New Testament book of Acts. Acts 11 speaks of a famine that occurred during his reign, and Acts 18 records that he expelled Jews from Rome. Roman historian Suetonius agrees, writing in his biography on Claudius, that Claudius expelled from Rome the Jews constantly making disturbances at the instigation of Crestus. This appears to be a misspelled reference to Christ, which seems to indicate that Jewish Christians and Jews were publicly fighting over their beliefs, enough to capture Claudius's attention. Despite this, Claudius is most remembered in history for securing Britain under Roman rule, even making an appearance there himself to lead the conclusion of the military campaign. Claudius's untimely end came as a result of his marital life. After executing his current wife for rebelling against him, Claudius received special permission to bend Rome's law and married his niece. Agrippina had a son from a previous marriage whom Claudius made his heir over his own children and renamed him Nero. Apparently, Agrippina had grown cautious of Claudius and wanted power quickly for her own son. On October 13, AD 54, Agrippina poisoned Claudius to see 16-year-old Nero rise to power. 
It's always, it's never a dull study when you take a look at the emperors of Rome, because not only do we have, you know, the, the, the technical decisions that they made, but we have a lot of the gossip, a lot of the word on the street too, about what some of these guys were up to, you know, whether they were mad or not mad, or, you know, if they were murdered or all of these intrigues of the, the seat of power in Roman over the Roman Empire are really interesting things to look into. There's lots of drama is what I'm trying to well, say. Well, there is. And, and it's a lot of people don't realize that today that we're in the time of the Roman Empire. And that time was very political. That time was very sarcastic. And that time they had scandals going on there that make scandals today look normal. You know, I mean, it, it was just incredible. And so they we understand what that is because we live in it too. So it's mm -hmm. very, very interesting to consider that. Very good, Corey. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Ryan. All right. So today my study surrounds 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And that's because some Bible skeptics have claimed that Paul contradicted himself here regarding marriage. And the specific question is this, is it okay for believers in Christ to marry unbelievers? Well, Paul says no in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 17, but earlier he seems to have said yes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. Now, how can we resolve this discrepancy? Well, let's study. Does the Bible, a book which claims over 3,000 times to be God's word, really contain errors and inconsistencies as cynics suppose? Or is it the cynic who is actually in error? Consider the accusation brought against the Apostle Paul that he contradicted himself regarding marriage. Specifically, is it okay for believers to marry unbelievers? Apparently yes, according to 1 Corinthians 7, 12-14, but no, according to 2 Corinthians 6, 14-17. Paul indeed does explicitly teach in 2 Corinthians 6 that believers are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, a command which actually refers to more than just marriage, though marriage as the ultimate yoking together is certainly counted here as well. But to claim that 1 Corinthians 7 undermines that clear teaching reveals that the cynic has not read that passage carefully. For if he did, he would have realized that this was not the issue Paul was addressing here. Rather, 1 Corinthians 7, 12-14 describes a situation where a Christian is currently already married to a non-Christian. Perhaps this is because the Christian sinned, wittingly or unwittingly, and violated 2 Corinthians 6, 14-17. Or perhaps the person became a Christian after having already been married. Either way, the Bible indicates that it is not appropriate for the two to divorce, as long as the unbeliever consents to stay with the believer. The unsaved spouse might perhaps initiate the separation, but the Christian husband is not to send away his unconverted wife, nor is the Christian wife to leave her unbelieving husband. Thus, according to Paul and the Bible as a whole, it is always considered a sin for a Christian to marry a non-Christian, and there are no passages which teach otherwise. Therefore, it is not the Bible, but the Bible Synod who is aired here. So it's easy to see that there's absolutely no contradiction in Paul's teaching. According to the Apostle, it seems that it is always considered a sin for a Christian to marry a non-Christian, and there are no passages that teach otherwise. As our study revealed, the 1 Corinthians 7 passage wasn't even speaking to that issue. 
It was talking about those Christians who were already married to unbelievers. They're two totally different situations. Many people today, they look at solving their problem of loneliness by finding someone or marrying someone that they connect with, but they don't understand that when the two become one flesh, mm -hmm. that becomes a problem. Yeah, And right. I have talked to many people about that, and that, that is a problem. The two become one flesh, and if you don't understand Jesus Christ, if you have not given your life to the Lord, that's going to be a problem. And so I, I really believe that's critical. Mm -hmm. So we need to pay attention to that. I think, too, to add to this, uh, a lot of times when we talk about discrepancies, I think you might agree, Ryan, and the rest of you sitting at the table, we, you can't really come to the Bible looking for sound bites. What I mean by that is just taking a scripture on its own and using that to build off of, that's one of the reasons why we do what we do here, and that that's go through the entire Bible, uh, not just focusing on the areas that we want to be teaching on or that are easy to understand or things that are happy to share, but to go through the whole Bible as a counsel, because oftentimes when something does seem out of place, it really isn't when it is read in context and when it is read comparably, mm -hmm. um, as you've demonstrated in this particular verse. So yeah. I think we, we have to take that into consideration, don't we? Yeah, that's absolutely, I totally agree with that. I mean, it's, it's like any one of us having a conversation, you know, you can say something, Dad, to me, and I may not completely understand it. And I may say, what do you mean by that? And you further explain it. It's the same with the Bible. You know, you look at a verse, it might be a little bit confusing, and then light is shed on it. Uh, you know, in another passage. So yeah, absolutely. We got to take the Bible as a whole book because that's the way it is uh, written. One of the things that I do is I end up answering people who write to me and I've stayed away from certain social media uh, parts, but I do respond to people. And I'm always saying that because people didn't hear me right. They, they say, well, you said that, and, and I didn't say that. Yeah, that's the frustration of one-way one <laughs> communication, isn't it? Where, where, you know, we're so lucky when we're actually able to have a conversation in person with each other, because like you were saying, we have the opportunity at that moment in person to go, wait, I don't, I'm, I'm, am I hearing you right? Mm -hmm. Or what do you mean by that? Or I find uh, like a really helpful um, strategy for communication is to kind of, is to summarize, summarize the person's point back then. Tell me if I'm understanding you correctly. Here's what I think you're saying. Yeah, because that's exactly they, right. Then they have an opportunity to go, oh, actually, no, exactly. here's what I mean. And then, because yeah. one way, it's a lot harder to yeah. do that. Very, very interesting. Go to yeah. BibleDiscoveryTV.com <laughs> for all of our stuff. That's BibleDiscoveryTV.com, BibleDiscoveryTV.com. We have a lot of material there. Janice? Yes, well, so... Thank you. I, I think that was good to clarify, just, uh, you know, not taking things out of the Bible here, there, and everywhere, but bringing the whole counsel of God. So an agent of comfort is what I called my segment today. And I was focusing on 2 Corinthians 7, and I highlighted verses 6 and 7 that says, um, Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. This is Paul uh, writing this. Uh, and not only by his coming, but also by the consola consolation with which he was comforted in you. And he's speaking to the, the Corinthians. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Calling this an agent of comfort because Titus was sent to be an agent of comfort to Paul. And my point here is sometimes God uses people to bring 
his comfort. God's comfort came to Paul through Titus. He had heard about uh, Titus brought news that the Corinthians had had a change of heart and um, they they came in rep- repentance. And this was a good thing for Paul to hear. Uh, it helped to make him feel better. So my point is today, let us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, allow ourselves to be agents of comfort. There may be times when you hear about somebody that's maybe going through a difficult time or you might be in the shopping and you might be going through the checkout and you notice somebody and you you have a, an impression in your heart or your mind, say hello or say something to them. Tell them how pretty their hair looks or whatever. You, you know what I mean. Those little urgings that we have to follow through on those. Here's some of the points that I, I would like to bring up that how you can be an agent of comfort. Be a good listener. Sometimes people just need you to sit with them and to hear them out. They don't need to have your answer or your philosophy. We, we learned that, didn't we, through Job and his friends that came and they all had something to say, but none of them had the full right story. So sometimes it's about being a good listener, being an encourager. Don't jump on the bandwagon of, of depression all the time and don't be that person that tries to make somebody laugh in their tears. Just be a listener and be an encourager. Pray with them. Encourage them through prayer. Tell your testimony. Tell how that God has changed your life. You know, when we do prayer meetings, Rod, one of the things that you like to do is to open in testimonies because what that does, during the week, something may have happened. A prayer may have been answered. And by that person sharing that, it brings encouragement to somebody else. So remember to do that. Remember to give praise and thanks to God openly. Be willing to share the goodness of God. That's another way that we can then we can encourage somebody. And here's a big one um, that we fully believe in as well, Rod, as a couple, as a family, and as a ministry. Remember to pray for your brothers and sisters around the world. We need to be remembering our brothers and sisters in parts of the world that are being persecuted at this time simply for believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and trying to serve him. So in all these ways, let's be available to our Lord and God to be an agent of comfort to those that are around us in our lives. I think it's very important. It's a way for us to let our light shine, a reflection of the love of Christ to others. Thank you for joining us today. I want to encourage you to think about what you are giving to. It is important to remember that the Lord's kingdom has needs. We are making decisions about stations that we will be on and not be on, and we need help. So if the Lord speaks to your heart, may he do so today. Thank you, Father. Lord, I pray that I need to read and I need to know your word better. Help me to hide in what you've said. In Jesus' name, amen.